Ratty, I use him to illustrate the African giant forest rat. Ratty is a stuffed rat. He was given to me as the mascot of one of these groups who are working to find alternatives to the use of animals in medical research. And he's quite endearing, actually. Everybody loves Ratty. And it turns out that rats are unbelievably intelligent and they can learn all sorts of tricks. They're highly affectionate when you have a pet rat. And it turns out that many children recognize rats as their favorite pet. They can do things that dogs do when they do these agility tests. They, the rats do exactly the same. They're very clever. But these giant rats live much longer, so they're more useful for performing the tasks that they have been trained to do. One is to detect landmines. They've been taught to detect the earliest signs of TB, and now they're being taught some of them can sniff out pangolin scales, some of them can sniff out rhino horn and so on. When I first heard about it, I imagined them in the arrival place in an airport, and I was thinking the place would be filled with screaming people because they're as big as a small cat. But they're very charming, and they're very gentle and sweet, and they're wonderful. Together we can achieve more. When we foster relationships with animals, it allows our survival. She is unwavering in her mission and has proven that one person can Wisdom unite others. We I aspire to change the world too because of the hope she the gave me. She devoted her life together. Together we can, together we will. What is your greatest reason for hope? I'm Jane Goodall, and this is the Hopecast. I've known and worked with today's guests for over 15 years. Dr. Rebecca Atencia is the Executive Director of the Jane Goodall Institute in the Republic of Congo, and she's the Manager and Head Veterinarian at JGI's Chimpunga Chimpanzee Rehabilitation Center, the largest chimpanzee sanctuary for orphans in Africa. Rebecca's passion for protecting chimpanzees is so like mine. She understands them as individuals, each with his or her own needs. She's become one of the foremost experts in chimpanzee behavior and great ape captive welfare in the world. I always look forward to talking with Rebecca about our shared memories of being together in the Congo, out in the rainforest. So this conversation is very special. I hope you enjoy this hopeful conversation with Dr. Rebecca Atencia. Well, Rebecca, I am so excited to welcome you onto this Hopecast. You being one of my favorite people, I think we're going to have an absolutely wonderful conversation. So welcome and I'm looking forward to hearing all your latest news and all the wonderful things that you're doing. So when did we first meet? When we first met was in 2004 in Spain. You came to Spain to a project here that is called Prima Domus. And the next time was in Congo in 2005. I met you in the middle of the forest of Congo in Concuati National Park. <laughs> that was when I was so impressed with you. But there you are in a little tiny hut on the edge of a river. And, you know, the other thing was 
these were, I think it was three big male chimps who were released. They were all males, I think. When you followed them, there were these forest elephants, which are very dangerous, and all kinds of animals. And they were, I, I just, I was completely gobsmacked. And it did remind me a little bit of my early days in Gombe, actually. And I thought, ah, she's one of, you know, one of us. Absolutely. It was, it was an amazing visit. Thank you so much. It was an amazing visit for me too, because I, I never expect you in the forest. When I was really focused at that time, I was, was really just thinking in chimpanzees, saving the life of these chimpanzees, following them in the forest. That was my life, my day-to-day -day basis. And suddenly Jane Goodall came to that little camp. It was like so strange for us, and but it was uh, wonderful, that visit. It was incredible, amazing. And you told me a story, which I also never forgot, about one of the chimps. What happened? Well, the thing that happened, maybe the story that I told you was about Kutu, that he was a chimpanzee, that uh, he was the dominant of the group, was uh, the release group, the, he was the dominant, he was a big male, and he was doing this place even against us, against the people. But I had a good relationship with Kutu. Because he was sick in one moment because he had wounds for the attack of the wild chimpanzees and I was taking care of him. And we established this relationship that he was always fine with me. And one day, after months and months being in the forest, one day I was really far away of the camp and another chimpanzee, another released chimpanzee called Tinuan attacked me. And he just jumped on my shoulders and bite my head. And really, at that moment, I was thinking, I'm going to die, because I only listened like crack in my head. And even after he attacked me, he started calling all the other chimpanzees for this. And everybody started coming and just uh, doing this place in my direction. I was really afraid. I didn't know what to do. And in that moment, Kutu was in the middle of the group, and he just changed the direction of the attack of all the other chimpanzees, and he protected me. He put his body in front of me for protect me for the attack. And it was something amazing. I couldn't believe it. How a chimpanzee could protect me from their friends. <laughs> and that was a moment that changed my life. And I said, he saved my life. I want to save their lives. That is so incredible, isn't it? In spite of all the harm we've done to these chimpanzees, they can be loyal. That's the thing that is like, for me, that a chimpanzee can protect myself from the others was changed my life. And I said, and was my friend, it was no a chimpanzee in the forest release. It was my friend for the rest of my life. I decided to call my son Kutu, <laughs> like That's my friend. Why Kutu. <laughs> That's the reason that it's called Kutu. I said, if one day I have a baby, my first baby is going to be called Kutu. Because for me, it was a, I, I was born that day. I was born because Kutu allowed me to get born again. That was amazing. And it's funny, you're born again in that way. It was very different from the way it happened to me because mine was with David Greybeard. And it was the day when he was allowing me to follow him for one of the first times. And I thought I'd lost him. And I pushed through this tangle of thorns and he was sitting, he was looking back. It really looked as though he was waiting for me and he was just sitting there. So I sat near him and there was a nice palm nut, red palm nut lying on the ground. So I picked it up 
because you know chimps love palm nuts, and held it out to him, and he looked away. Well, I suppose it was a bit cheeky of me, but I put my hand closer. And then he turned, he looked directly into my eyes, reached out, took and dropped the nut with one movement. He obviously didn't want it, but very gently squeezed my fingers. You know how chimps reassure each other? Yes. And so in that moment, I knew that he and I had communicated probably with a language that predates human words, something we brought with us from our common ancestor six million years ago. I knew that he understood that my motive offering him this thing he didn't want was good. And I understood. It was just mind-changing. That was David Greybeard. So, Rebecca, you had this bloody head and you had these wounds. How long did it take to recover? And how did you have the courage to go back out again? I think that after this incident, I have more courage to go back and being with the teams in the forest. It took me like a seven days of medication, but I was at the camp taking medication, antibiotics and these kind of things. But after that, I went back quickly to the forest again. But for me, I start to think a lot about that situation, how a chimpanzee protect me for the other chimpanzees. It's like sometimes with, uh, when we protect other animals, and we try to explain to other humans that we need to protect other animals. And to realize that it's not only us, <laughs> that it was a chimpanzee that was protecting me. So, Rebecca, I think a lot of people will be pretty amazed by the story that you just told me and the courage that you showed. So what motivated you to go to Africa and study chimpanzees or work with them in the first place? The real inspiration that I had when I was very little was something that happened close to my house. I was living in in the house, in the campaign, with a mountain behind my house, and I loved it to go into the forest with my dogs and just listening to the trees, listening to the birds, listening every single animal. But one day, something happened. There was a big fire. A big fire burned all the mountain that I was used to go every single day. For me, I was maybe six years old or maybe five. I don't remember how old it was, but it was terrible. That was my place, my comfort space. I was just disappearing. And for me, I said, and what is going to happen with all the animals? For me, it was so sad. And I was just crying. All my eyes, they were full of tears. And I couldn't do anything. I feel frustrated. But the next week, I went to visit a friend of my parents that he was a ranger. He was the ranger of all the area. His name is Jaime. And when I arrived to his house, I saw that he had a lot of babies a baby fox, a baby eagle. Jaime, when he saw that the fire started, went into the forest and he started saving babies and he took all the babies to his house. He was taking care of them and after he released them into the wild again. That was something that inspired me when I was very little. And I said, I want to be Jaime. (laughs) I want to be like him. I want to save animals and release them into the wild, give them a, a second opportunity 
That was my inspiration. I studied veterinary medicine, and after I started working with chimpanzees and other wild animals in captivity in sanctuaries in, in Spain. But I was always thinking in going to Africa, and I traveled to Africa. I went to Congo. I did my PhD in the forest, and I become a primatologist there. And also, you are the expert on chimpanzee welfare and captivity. I think everybody defers to you now on how we treat chimpanzees in captive situations. So does it ever surprise you that you started off as you loving the forest and being upset by the fire to what you are today, traveling the world and advising zoos and sanctuaries and telling them they've got to change or that they're wonderful? I mean, does it surprise you or do you think... It just is an inevitable progression of what you wanted to do as a child. It surprised me every single day because when I was a child, I was really afraid of everything. I was afraid of even going to the car. I was, in my mind, was not mm, a, to go to Africa like a, a something real because I was afraid of going to Africa. When I arrived to Congo and I started to work with the chimpanzees and I saw them in the forest. I was in love with chimpanzees and with the forest. When I left that forest and I started to see what was happening in the city, I was really, really depressed. And I said, how this thing can happen? And that's the moment that I said, no, I cannot leave Africa. I need to stay here. It's very strange how we started differently, you and I, and we converged and we met properly for the first time in that little camp you had in the middle of nowhere. The reason that we met goes back in my history to when I first heard about the infant chimpanzees that were being sold in the markets in Kinshasa. And it was Graziella Kotman. She kept writing to me, writing to me, saying, please come, please come, please come. This was the beginning of my career, and I didn't see what I could do. But eventually, I had the opportunity to go to Kinshasa. And I had my first experience of seeing a little chimp tied up. He had a, a rope around his waist, and he was tied on the top of a very small wire cage in a market. And it was the middle of the day, and it was very hot. I saw this little thing, and he was curled up on his side. And... I looked at him and I went over and I crouched down. His eyes were glazed and it, it was as though he'd given up. And so I made the little soft sound of chimpanzee greeting. And this little being sat up, looked up at me with those big eyes they have and reached out towards me with his hand. And Rebecca, you can understand how I felt. I knew I couldn't buy him because that perpetrates this illegal trade. But fortunately, I was able to go to the American ambassador and he contacted the um, environment minister who said, OK, I'll send you back with the policeman tonight. And I think the people in the market had word that we were coming because there was nobody there except this one little cage with this one little chimp. And I was able to go and cut the cord and give him to Graziella Cotman to look after. And that's what began the whole sanctuary program for me in Africa, first in Kinshasa and then over the lake in Republic of Congo, where you are now. 
And there's one other story which you probably have heard, but I want to tell you which really led to the sanctuary. And that is, it was in Brazzaville, you know, in the Republic of Congo. I had been taken to the zoo in Brazzaville. And there were three male chimpanzees separate. And one of them was Gregoire. And at that time, Gregoire had virtually no hair. And he had an experience with the French family, an experience in a circus. And there were three little African children. And they were very serious. And they looked up at this old chimpanzee, said on the top, Gregoire, 1944. And they said, dance, dance. And he twirled around three times. He stood on his hands. He put his feet on the wire. And then after that, they gave him a banana. And it was Gregoire, along with that little first little chimp in the market, that really made me realize somehow, somehow, I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know how I'll do it. We must have a sanctuary to help these little chimpanzees, to rescue them, to rescue the Gregoires and the little little J, as we called that first chimp. So, you know, that's how you and I met because of my experiences and your experiences and our paths met and it was meant to happen because now there you are heading up the biggest sanctuary for orphan chimpanzees in Africa. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it, to look at our histories. There you are to carry on everything that I care so passionately about. And God bless you. Rebecca, I think one of the things that's so incredible about having you managing the sanctuary in Chimpunga is because you trained as a vet. And how many chimpanzees do you think you've saved through your veterinary skills? Because the one I remember most is Wunder, and she was literally dying. She was about, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And you gave her, certainly in Africa, the very first transfusion, blood transfusion from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. And that was so incredible. But how many other chimpanzees have you saved through being such a wonderful veterinarian? I, I don't know how many chimpanzees... We save because if I tell the truth, it's not me that I save the chimpanzees. It's the team. We create a team that all of us, the caregivers, the nurses, we work day and night for save every single life. It's our passion. And we inspire one each other. And if I, I was able to do things that we cannot do in other places, it's because for the people that we are working together with that passion, we love the teams. We work with them. We're taking care of them since they arrive and they are all life. That's what the world needs, isn't it? Teamwork. Together we can do it. Together we will do it. In this pandemic, I've been grounded for over a year now, sitting in this one little room, but reaching out and sending messages messages about all the things that you care about and I care about and reaching many more people than I could have when I was traveling around the world. But my goodness, I miss coming to Chimpunga. I love coming to Chimpunga. And you know, Rebecca, you must know that you saved Chimpunga because I could not believe our luck when you said that you would be prepared 
Philippe Conquati come and take over as the, I want to call you something more than your title. You're the sort of mother of the chimpanzees of Chimpunga. Thank you. When you came to Conquati and you offered me to help you in Chimpunga, I said, yes, I will do it. I will do it. We are going to release these chimpanzees of Chimpunga. We are going to do it. But if I tell you the truth, when I start working in Chimpunga, I start with a lot of passion. But there was a moment that I said, I couldn't do it. It's like too much. It was in 2008 that we had too many chimpanzees arriving to the sanctuary. Every month, a new arrival. Every month, in critical conditions. And we didn't have a space. We didn't have the islands at that time. We were fighting for having the islands, but we didn't have, we didn't have the money. We didn't have a space. I remember that day that you came to Congo and we were around the forest. And I say to you, Jane, that's too much. It's, it's so frustrating. I cannot deal with this. It's too much. And you say me something that changed completely my vision. You say to me, Rebecca, you know the problem. And that's a big problem. But if you try to have a big solution for the big problem, you're going to get frustrated. Try to, to uh, put that in pieces and go one by one to create little challenge to have a plan, to have a goal and objective, but one by one to create little challenge. And like this, you are going to, uh, year by year, you are going to find that you are going to arrive to your goal. I said, okay, I, I need to change everything. I need to change the vision of this. And I, we start with this thing that we call the strategy of the triangle approach. We start to focus in taking care of the new arrivals, but thinking why the teams are coming from the forest. We need to stop them. How we can do it? Because people, they don't know that it's illegal. We need to start doing public awareness, environment education in a, a national level. At the same time, it's illegal, but we need to have law enforcement. And even if we cannot do the law enforcement, we can go with other NGOs and work together for do law enforcement or do prosecution. And we start to work with this triangle approach doing captive care for the welfare of the chimpanzees, public awareness, environmental education, and law enforcement, and working with the three big legs of this approach. Now, the situation is completely different. We pass from having 12 arrivals a year to have one or two orphan chimpanzees coming, and now I cannot believe that this thing is happening. And I think... Fernando Supercodo made a difference too, didn't it? Yes, that's a film that now everybody likes to, to watch in the TV, adult kids. The creation of Supercodo, that is a Congolese hero that shows to the kids that there is a possibility that a kid can make a difference, that they can protect the forest. And that was a big change too, because it's the new generation, it's our root and shoots leader that we have in Congo. It's so beautiful, but it was so successful in Congo. It takes everything, doesn't it, to change the world. You never know. You never know. You just all have to do your bit. Well, Rebecca, I'm sure you, you will agree that one of the most horrific problems is boredom. I mean, these are intelligent creatures. They have brains. They can do, if you, if you teach them, they can do computer problems. They can learn sign language. In the wild, they use tools. They have complex social relationships. So if they're in a small cage, especially if they're alone or with one other chimp, they're bored stiff. 
And I tried to introduce environment enrichment way back when I first came from Gombe in 1962, and nobody would pay any attention. But it's changed, hasn't it? Yes, they are like us. They cannot be alone, the first thing. They, they, they are social. That The first thing is so important that they are together. They are with other chimpanzees. And now we are even start creating indicators of welfare because if you don't know what is good and what is bad, how you are going to say that is the welfare, at the level of the welfare. And now we are trying to standardize the indicators, not only in Africa first, in the centuries in Africa, and we hope that this welfare indicator, we can start using them in other places, in America, in Europe. We had already conversations with people in sanctuaries in America and in places in Europe, and they are happy to start using the welfare indicators because we can see, we can see that chimpanzees in the sanctuaries in Africa, that they can live in big groups, they can have natural environment, they are really, really having their normal behaviors. Very species. Tell us about the enrichment. Some chimpanzees that are in captivity in zoos or in sanctuaries in Europe or in America or in Australia, that doesn't mean that they need to go to Africa. We can give a good life where they are, but we need to give enrichment. And the enrichment is, can be environment enrichment and other kind of enrichment, that social enrichment. And people, they need to understand that that's really important in their life. And they can learn how to do it. They can share uh, techniques, methodologies, and they can give a better life to these chimpanzees. Maybe they are going to spend the rest of their life in that enclosure. The way that things have changed, the first environment enrichment thing that I invented was a little box, and it had little holes in the top. So all the chimp had to do was pick up a bit of straw, poke it in, get out the honey or the mustard or whatever chimps like to eat. Do you know why it was never used in London Zoo? Because the keepers said it was too much work. They would not use it. So the first time it was used was in a zoo in America. And of course, instead of just throwing food on the floor for the chimps to pick up, it's gone in a flash. We give them things to do, right? And they like their minds work. Do they want to like termite fishing in the wild and things like that, right? When we do environment enrichment, we try to replicate the things that the chimpanzees, they do in the wild to replicate in captivity. Yes. And like this, they develop the same behavior. And for them, their life change. That just shows they're desperate to use their brains to do something. Because they need it. And it's important that everybody in the zoo or in the sanctuaries, they understand that that should be a part of the regular work. It's not something extra. The same way that they clean the cage, they give the food, they do the enrichment. And especially important in zoos. I mean, in the sanctuaries, they do get out in the forest, so it's not the same. But in zoos, it's really important, isn't it? And you've become more visiting zoos and advising zoos, haven't you? Yes, and in the zoos, the thing that happen if they don't have enough enrichment, sometimes they start to do uh, to automutilate, to to hurt themselves. They don't have anything to do, and it's really hard for them. 
the great thing is that this can be expanded. It doesn't have to stop at chimpanzees. All of these enrichment ideas and captivity ideas can be expanded to the other apes, to monkeys, to other animals. I mean, there are elephants and dolphins, and they need things to do as well, don't they? All other species, all the animals that we have in captivity, they are suffering in some places, but sometimes because we don't give enrichment and we don't give the tools to the people that they are taking care of them or be able to give them a better life. So, Rebecca, I want to end with something inspiring for everybody. So how do you feel that the sanctuaries that you've been so involved with are contributing to hope for the future of animal life on the planet? 16 years ago, when I left to Congo, I have two friends that they start working, they start working with lynx, Iberian lynx. They were in extinction. They were only 90 at that time. And I remember I, I, I left Spain to go into Congo to try to save chimpanzees, and they stay in Spain saving the, the lynx. Now, the last census of lynx, we have around 1,000. That's the real example of hope. Hope one species can change from 90 to 1,000. I always say that one of my reasons for hope are the incredible, amazing people who tackle what seems impossible and won't give up. And you're one of those people. You are one of the people who give me hope. So I really want to thank you for taking part in this Hopecast. I want to end up by wishing you a very amazing future. And I know that your contribution will inspire many, many, many people around the world. That's so special this time with you. And I hope that we are going to see us soon again. Me too. When I saw the photographs of Wunda as she came to the sanctuary, I didn't see how she could possibly have lived. And it was thanks to Rebecca, entirely thanks to Rebecca, that she survived. Rebecca came rushing back to care for her and did what I believe was the first ever blood transfusion from chimp to chimp, certainly in Africa. Feel hopeful and inspired to act with the Jane Goodall Hopecast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere podcasts are found. I'm your host, Jane Goodall. The Jane Goodall Hopecast is produced by the Jane Goodall Institute. Our production partner is Frequency Media. Michelle Corey is our executive producer, Inar Gaukusha is our producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound designer. Our music is composed and performed by Ruth Mendelssohn with additional violin tracks from Angie Shear. Sound design and music composition for the Conservation Chorus is by Matthew Ernest Filler.
Follow Dr. Jane Goodall and the Jane Goodall Institute on social at facebook.com slash Jane Goodall and at Jane Goodall INST on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure to share about the Hopecast, tagging JGI and hashtag Hopecast for a chance to be featured. To learn more about Jane and JGI, visit janegoodall.org and support our work at janegoodall.org slash donate. The Hopecast is a movement of hope turned into action fueled by each of you. To become an official Hopecaster and support the podcast, visit janegoodall.org slash Hopecaster.